Good morning. If you have your Bibles, and I think our elders are going to be checking to make sure you do, but take them and turn, or your phones, to Matthew chapter 5. I want to thank Krista for getting my podium back up here today. She figured out this was the one I needed after listening to me last week. And um, I've tried to do what Doug does, and that is get up here without notes and without the podium. But at my age, we had our 56th anniversary yesterday. We were, Ann and I were married on June 26th on a Saturday, so it matched up yesterday. And we celebrated 56 years. But remember, we started dating at the age of five. So we're not as old as 56 may sound to you. Um, started dating at the age of five and, and then got married, you know, five years later. <laughs> That's a joke if you haven't figured that out. All right, I want, I want to read to you from the Beatitudes, chapter 5 and verse 3. We're going to look at the seven, which most commentators think are the key Beatitudes, the blessings. And in these seven, we've already gone through three. The interesting thing is today, when we hit number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied, is another way to translate that. Most commentators feel like Jesus turned a corner here. The first three were more about our relationship with him, starting off with poor in spirit. That's the beginning, like the tax gatherer, when we say before God, there is nothing I can do, there is nothing I have to offer you. The only thing I can plead is for mercy, that you withhold what I am rightly due that you withhold that. That's the way it begins. And then he goes to mourning, grieving over sin. Once you've entered the kingdom by mourning, by looking to him alone that can save you, you begin to grieve over your sin. Once you recognize you're poor in spirit, spiritually you're dead, you have nothing to offer. Grieving over sin is the next step. That's between you and God. And then the third beatitude that we were looking at is blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle. And that, again, is us looking at ourselves in relationship to others. How do I see myself in relationship to everybody around me? I've already worked that out about how do I see myself before God, I am nothing. And I grieve over the sin, even having entered his kingdom that has come into my life. But now I also begin to check my attitude towards other people. But when we get to this number four, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, this now puts us on a positive journey for the rest of the Beatitudes. We are seeking to live in such a way that he is honored and that our life reflects righteousness and mercy and being pure in heart and being a peacemaker. All of these now are projecting out from us. They're in the positive vein. 
we begin to replace the sin with the opposite of what sin is, his righteousness. We begin to hunger and thirst for that. Have you, have you ever found yourself so hungry that all you could think of was food? Getting a bite in your mouth, getting the next meal? You were just starving, you were famished or thirsty. The thirstiest I ever have gotten is after mowing the lawn when it's 90 degrees and working in the yards and dealing with weeds and all of the stuff that you do in your yard. Then I come in kind of soaking wet and I'm ready for a drink of water. In fact, Anne is usually at the door saying, here's some water for you. I can tell you need water. But I can't say to you that I have ever been at the stage of, I don't know if I'm going to make it through another hour if I don't get something to drink or I don't get something to eat. John MacArthur, in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, mentions a Major Gilbert in World War I who was leading troops in battle in the Palestinian desert. World War I. Listen to what this Major wrote later about that experience. He said, our heads ached. Our eyes became bloodshot and dim in the blinding glare. Our tongues began to swell. Our lips turned to purplish black and burst. Those who dropped out of the column were never seen again. In other words, they died. But the desperate force kept on and battled on to Sharia. Sharia. There were wells at Sharia, and had they been unable to take the place by nightfall, thousands were doomed to die of thirst. We fought that day as men fight for their lives. We entered Sharia station on the heels of the retreating Turks. The first object which met our view were the great stone cisterns full of cold, clear drinking water. It took four hours before the last man was able to get a drink. Have you ever been that thirsty? Anyone? Have you ever been that hungry? Most of us have not. We've lived in the United States. Most of us have come from families which had the basic essentials. And in our home, Dad provided. I don't remember missing a meal. I don't remember ever getting close when it came to thirst like these troops that were battling in the desert and would have died within a day had they not found water. Can you imagine that kind of thirst? Some have experienced it. This fourth beatitude, Jesus is dealing with hungering and thirsting, and he is making the case that this is to be a continual, it's a present tense, a present participle, which means to keep on hungering and thirsting for something. And what is Jesus saying that our hungering and thirst should primarily focus on? righteousness. 
I want to ask you at the beginning, and I'm going to ask at the end, think about this. Are you daily, when you get up, is one of your first thoughts before breakfast, before coffee, before a drink, is it, Lord, I'm hungry again today? And not for physical food and not for physical drink. I am hungry for righteousness. And I pray with all my heart that I would seek it today. And tomorrow I will wake up hungry. And the next day I will wake up even more hungry for righteousness. And I know you will be, you will be satisfying me. You will fill me. And I know, too, that I will be exaltingly happy and joyful because I have what matters most. The food and the liquid, the water that is spiritual. That's what Jesus is saying here. The man of God or the woman of God, the one who's entered the kingdom, you don't hunger and thirst after righteousness to enter it. You hunger and thirst after righteousness because you have entered it. It's one of the signs of and character traits of a child of God. We're going to examine this this morning in four questions again. And the first one is this. What exactly appetite is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about hungering and thirsting about for something. He's talking about having a, an enormous appetite. What is it for? It's not for anything physical. What he's talking about is obviously spiritual in the context. And the, and the word righteousness is that which gives us the main clue. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the appetite that we should have more than any other. Yes, food and water physically are necessary for us to survive, for us to live in this world at this time. But far more important than that is righteousness that we should be hungering and thirsty for. Not only the word righteousness, but if we looked up this word in a lexicon, we would find that it's used many times, both for physical, the hungering and thirsting, that is, used for the physical side of us, but it's also used many times for the spiritual side. Listen to a few verses. John 6, 35, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus said those words in John chapter 6. And then with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, 13 to 15, he said, everyone who drinks of this water, he's pointing at the, at the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst but the water that I give him will become to him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus used these figures all the time. Hungering, thirsting, eating, drinking about spiritual things. David in Psalm 63.1 says, 
My soul thirsts for you, speaking to God. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. David's writing about spiritual things. He's not talking about the physical. He's saying, my soul thirsts. My soul seeks after you. My flesh yearns for you, God. You see the intensity with David in that psalm? He's saying that's what it's all about. Now also notice that the verbs for hungering and thirsting again are in a present participle. Jesus is saying, this is for you who are in the kingdom. You are to continually keep on hungering and thirsting. You're to keep on doing that. These words also indicate that the hungering and thirsting is to be significant and without interruption. It is spiritual food that we're hungering and thirsting after. It is righteousness. It is replacing the sin in our life with a life of Christ. Living as he did, walking as he did, treating people the way he did, honoring the Father as he did. It's all about hungering and thirsting after the things that change us spiritually. Righteousness is what we're looking at. To pursue righteousness with intensity. I already told you when it comes to the physical world of hungering and thirsting after food and after water, my life, I've been pretty fortunate. Most of us here, I think, have too. Most of us have. I'll just give you my illustration. And my illustration of hungering and thirsting after something, since it wasn't the food or the water, was when I was in Vietnam. Back in 1967 to 68, only about 10 years old at that time. No. When I was in Vietnam, I had a wife at home. We had married a couple of years earlier, and she was pregnant with our first child. And I went in June and was coming back in June. And David, our oldest, was born in October. So guess what we all did in Vietnam? We hungered and thirsted for being back with our families. Me for seeing a son, for seeing my wife again. And all we had in those days, guys, was no cell phones, no internet capability, no computers, we didn't have those. All we had was a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen and an envelope and some stamps. And maybe if some were lucky, they had one of those reel-to-reel -reel recorders, which were not a lot of fun. I think we exchanged maybe two or three of those during the course of a year or calling each other on the phone line that had four people connecting you from Vietnam to the east side of this country, to Virginia. That's all we had. But those of us with families and loved ones here hungered and thirsted to get back. It was what we craved. It was what we desired. That's, that's one of the things that I can use to maybe to relate to what the Lord is saying. But you, my followers, should be this way about righteousness. About righteousness. 
Now, this is somewhat different. Is it not that Jesus is saying you need to keep on hungering and thirsting from what we saw in John 4 and John 6? If you drink of this water, you won't ever thirst again, he said. But now he's saying, yes, you, you need to thirst. You need to continually thirst. You need to go on with your thirsting. Never stop thirsting for righteousness. But, but Jesus, didn't you say if we drank of you that, that, that's not, that that wouldn't happen anymore? Well, this next question that we're going to look at is going to answer that for us. And here's the second question. Exactly what kind of righteousness does he have in view? What's he saying here? If you've got a Greek dictionary and you looked up the word for righteousness, adakimas, you would find that there are a couple main definitions for the word righteousness. Number one, it means uprightness in fulfilling the divine statutes. Being upright in fulfilling what God has set before us, what he's commanded. But if you keep reading down through that dictionary, that Greek dictionary, it will say, but righteousness is also used in terms of the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to one on the basis of faith. So there's two primary ways that the word righteousness is used in the New Testament. It's used of Christ righteousness, justification. It is used of ongoing experiential righteousness, which is sanctification. Two major doctrines regarding the Christian and salvation. So let's first talk a little bit about the imputed righteousness of Christ. For instance, you will read in verses like 1 Corinthians 1.30, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to you wisdom and righteousness. Do you see that? He became to you. You're in him. He became to you the righteousness that you need. The scripture says over and over, you need to be perfectly righteous. If you've committed sin, one sin, our Lord says, you have broken all of the law and you come under its curse. One sin. You need perfect righteousness. You need the righteousness of Christ who came to this earth and never sinned and lived purely and righteously and went to the cross and died in our place. That's imputed righteousness. That's righteousness which is reckoned to our account written down, righteousness which is given to us in its perfect, in its lasting, and because of Christ's righteousness, all of our sins are covered. What we did yesterday, what we did back in days when we were in college, and I'm thankful for that, because I wasn't a believer then. What we did when we were in high school, grade school, things that we can't remember, everything that we've done, Christ's righteousness by his death on the cross and his resurrection are placed to our account and all of our sin is dealt with. Do you reflect on that occasionally? That he's done that for you? 
That's part of this word righteousness. But what is interesting, that righteousness which leads to no more dealing with your sin in terms of the condemnation, that righteousness which is so important and is basic and beginning, at the beginning of our salvation experience, there's something more that's important too. It's sanctification. It's sanctification. You see, in the, in the scriptures, Romans 9, Romans 4, Romans 3, Paul spends much time, by the way, I just want to put in a little ad for the course in August on Romans in the seminary. If you want to come, be thinking of that. I think it starts around the 7th or so of August. Romans is a great book. Paul deals over and over with this imputed righteousness of Christ, which is necessary. It is by faith. He says, you Jews sought it by works, by what you could do that wasn't enough. In Romans chapter 10, you needed to come to him, the provision, the same one that saved Abraham. When Abraham believed in the promise of God, the seed that was to come, even though he was beyond childbearing years and his wife Sarah too, God said, there will be a seed, and that seed will save you. And Abraham believed. He put his faith in that promise, and he was declared, that's justification, to be declared in the holy courtroom of God. This man, this woman is righteous. But then comes this other area, sanctification. And we all notice that Jesus is speaking to that area of righteousness. He's saying, my children, my king kingdom citizens, if you are in my kingdom, and you are, you must hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, hold it. I, I'm already righteous. Yes, you're declared righteous. But now Christ has done something else in his death for you, Romans 6. He's giving you new life in his death and resurrection. He's made you alive in the inner man. He's made your spirit new. And he's taken his Holy Spirit and placed him there. The Holy Spirit has come there at the direction of the Father and the Son. To live in us, every Christian has had a new birth spiritually. And we await the day in which our body, thank the Lord, is going to be made new. But in between that is sanctification while we're living in this body, yet to be resurrected with a new spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you must hunger and thirst after righteousness experientially. Is that important too? Yes. Will that happen with a true believer? Absolutely. Absolutely it will. And true believers must obey God and hunger and thirst after his righteousness. Living in light of his truth that he talks about even right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Being righteous in, in terms of your daily life, in terms of physical things, like your marriage, like looking at someone. He talks about holiness, righteousness in the way that we perceive these areas. He talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. He talks about 
giving to the poor. And he says, all of these are right. You need to give to the poor. You need to fast. You need to pray. But not to be seen of men. Do these things in secret. That God may see it. And he may bless. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Is what the scriptures are saying. Over and over and over again. This practical righteousness, by the way, is not optional. It's not optional. It's not optional not to be merciful. It's not optional not to be a peacemaker. Do you remember what Jesus said? If you love me, you will keep my, what? Commandments. How do we do that? Do we do that in our own strength? No, we don't do it in our own strength at all. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, Paul says to the Philippians. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Oh, I'm supposed to work out my salvation? He's talking about sanctification, about practical righteousness, about becoming more and more like Jesus. Work it out with some fear and trembling. Why? Because it's important? It's necessary. It's absolutely necessary. Work it out in fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. And I think part of working this out in fear and trembling is, God, are you there? Am I seeking you? Are you helping me? You, you said you would. You said I would be satisfied. You, you said you, I would be filled if I really hunger and thirst after you. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will, want to, and do what he asks. It's not something that you can just say, well, I know I've had his righteousness reckoned to me, and I can let it go at that. My sins are covered. No, if your sins have been covered, you have the Spirit of God who's constantly working in you, and your desire is going to be to be like the Son of God, to be like the Son of God. In summary, Jesus is saying that the pursuit of practical and moral righteousness, all that it covers in relationships to God's will for us in our daily walk, is not only something, it's not only a must, but it should be a driving concern in our lives. I'll tell you, when I, when I told the elder board that I would preach on the Beatitudes, I knew that these Beatitudes had been so important in my life in the past. But I had forgotten how convicting these things are. I began to say to myself this past week, am I getting up daily and am I hungering more than anything else in this world for you? By the way, in the Old Testament, the word righteousness often just refers to God because he is righteous. He's perfectly holy. There is no darkness in him. If you love him and you, and you want to show that love, you strive after his commandments, his righteousness. Is that some, something that I am hungering and thirsting for? The two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the other things 
are wrapped up in those two. But if you love him, what will you do? You'll demonstrate that love by allowing him to change your life. Every day, are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? I want you to turn with me for just a moment to Romans 8. Some of my favorite verses. They will definitely come up in that Romans course. And I want to read to you from Romans 8, 9 down to verse 14. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Do you see that kind of probing question? But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And I think he's speaking of the here and now, not into the future. Life to this body now, the body that you still wrestle with as we'll see as we read on. Look at verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. You must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Is the Spirit leading you? Is the Spirit in you? Is the Spirit enabling you to put to death the deeds of your flesh by the Spirit? You have all the power in the world if you're in His kingdom. All the power that you will ever need, you have. Are you crying out? To God, Lord, let me hunger and thirst more than anything else, more than anything I crave in this life, even legitimate things. May I crave to become like your son. May I just every day call out to you for that. Well, how do you get that? How does that happen to you? What's my responsibility in this? Because the scripture says, this is the third question, the scripture says that we have responsibility to walk in the spirit, to put to death the deeds of the flesh, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Here's some things I think that we can personally do to make this happen. And remember, we can't be passive. We have responsibility. Do you remember Paul's words in in 1 uh, Corinthians, towards the end of the book, he's, he's talking about himself. He said, I did more than all of them. And then he stops. He says, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God within me. Everything that we do is by the grace of God, motivated both to will and to do, but we have a part in this. We have a part. We, we are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. If you can say to yourself today, I'm not really doing that very often, then the first thing is cry out to God 
for spiritual enablement, to remind you every day when you get up out of bed that your primary craving, your primary hunger in this life is not the things of this world. It's him. It's his will for your life. It's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And spend time in the word daily. Don't count on what comes on Sunday morning as your only input. Be in the word. Be looking at the scriptures. Be saying, Spirit, take this word and put it in my heart. And convict me if I'm not keeping it, if I'm not doing it. Make me like your son. Cry out to him. Get in his word where we find out how to live and how Christ lived. Spend time at church listening to the word preached. Spend time in fellowship with godly believers who will encourage you in your faith. Don't put any conditions on your hungering like the rich man did when Jesus said, sell all you have and follow me. He said, oh, I like the first part. But it went on to say this man was wealthy and he turned and went his own way. Don't put any conditions on hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Do your daily best to avoid things that take you in opposite directions. Like sitting down and watching a TV program that puts all kinds of unnecessary thoughts in your mind. Do you ever wonder what you're watching and what it's saying? Reading the wrong kind of books. Get those things away from you. You can't really hunger and thirst after righteousness if you want to hold on to some of these things. There are times in watching the Waltons when I want to turn it off. And usually it's pretty good. We have to be careful. Don't be satisfied in this life with hungering and thirsting either. It's to go on until you are with the Lord. It's to go on and on. And yes, he satisfies. And yes, he fills. But the next day, we need to hunger and thirst again. I'm even asking God this week to let me hunger and thirst in my dreams for righteousness, for godly living, to live like Christ. What's the reward that he promised in this beatitude? Number four, the reward God says to those who are hungering and thirsting is you will be filled. And we just said, he's filling us now, day to day. But the hungering in this life, in the area of sanctification, never ceases because we are never going to arrive in this life. I don't care how old you are, whether you're 20, 40, 60, or somewhere near my age, we're to hunger and thirst every day. Every day. This is a character trait of the children of the living God. This is a future passive when he says, you shall be filled. I think primarily what he's talking about is there is coming that day when we are with him, when he returns or we die and go to be with him, that that hungering will stop. When Jesus returns, he gives us a new body. 
a spiritual body, 1 Corinthians 15 says, a body that matches up with our inner man. And there is no more temptation on the new earth. There's no more sin on the new earth. There's no more enemy on the new earth. We won't hunger and thirst for righteousness when we are with him. We shall be. It's passive. He will satisfy us. You shall be satisfied because you have eternal life with him. So let me conclude with this question this morning. What are you primarily longing for? What do you primarily want when you get up and you start thinking about what would make me happy? Let me give you some thoughts. Is it getting an educational degree in the field that you desire? Is it marrying the one of your dreams? Is it having a great wedding and a honeymoon? Is it having a great marriage which follows? Is it having a job that you love and provides well for your family? Is it having wonderful children, a great home, a great vacation, good health, long life to share with those that you love? Are those primary concerns for you? I think they're all okay. I think they're all desirable concerns. I know when I, when I was in college, I, I had narrowed my list down to three. I was, and by, by the way, I wasn't a believer then. I just had three things that I wanted in my life. One was to graduate. And there were some days where, where I would think, am I ever? One was to graduate. Number two was to marry the girl of my dreams that I had dated for five years. That was the second one. Graduate, marry the girl of my dreams. Remember, we'd only dated for five years, and we were only five when we started. Marry the girl of my dreams. And the third one was be an Air Force pilot or at least be in the Air Force. That was the starting thing, be an Air Force lieutenant, because I was in ROTC. You know, graciously, the Lord granted those three things. I graduated. I married this young woman up here. And I went into the Air Force. All three things that I thought, if I get those three things, I'm going to have everything I need. First year in the Air Force is when the Spirit of God tapped me on the shoulder and said, here's where real happiness is, and brought me to Christ, and brought Anne to Christ, and changed our lives and our marriage. You know, it wasn't, our marriage was good, and we loved each other, but there was something missing. We needed a new heart. We needed a relationship with a living God. And he gave us that by grace. And now as his children, every day we are to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in 619, laying up treasure in heaven, laying up treasure there. 
In 6.33 of Matthew, he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness before everything else. You want to be exceedingly happy and joyful? Maybe you have a good marriage. Maybe you have a good job. Thank the Lord for that. But do you want exceeding joy? Hunger and thirst after him, after righteousness. And you will have it, and you will be satisfied. And when you get to heaven, you won't miss anything that you enjoyed here on earth. Because you will have him. I want to close by reading. Look, listen to Philippians chapter 3 and turn there if you'd like to. I want to begin reading what Paul's life was like after he became a believer. I love these verses, and I hope they, as we end with them, you'll just remember them and cling to them and read them again and again. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever things were gained to me, this is the Apostle Paul, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but derived from the law. Rather, excuse me, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul is saying, there's something I am striving for even as his child. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which, for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul's life was like? He wasn't stagnant. You just can't stand still as a Christian. You've got to be moving forward. If you're not, you're going to be moving backwards. And moving forward wraps up in this fourth beatitude. Why are you here? Why have you been saved? It's to pursue, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, after godliness, after a life like Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Don't we miss the mark sometimes? Don't we get off about what we're seeking and what we think will make us happy? Exaltingly happy are those who continually, consistently, every day, hunger and thirst for righteousness, replacing the sin with godly living, becoming more and more like Christ. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for my family. That's my prayer for you.
Think about these things. Think about what you've been seeking and hungering and thirsting for. And if it hasn't been righteousness, cry out to God. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this sermon, Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes, which Jesus began with. We want our character to be more and more every day like Christ. We want people to come to us and say, you're different. I, I see something about you, the way you act, the way you speak, the way you treat people, the way you live, so that we can say, yes, and it's all because of Christ. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, Father, do that in us, each one of us, every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.